0: If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils.
1: Hey you guys, it's Josh
0: and Carolyn
1: with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought.
0: Today we're going to be talking about raising chickens for eggs. This episode of the Pantry Chat podcast is sponsored by Made On Skin Care. Maidon specializes in skincare specifically for dry skin, and they use as few ingredients as possible to get the job done. You guys, this is the type of skincare I would make myself if I had time to make it in my own home, and the great thing is, Renee even shares her exact recipes with you. The Bee Silk Lotion Bar is my go-to lotion when my hands get dry and cracked and it's only made with three ingredients. Renee created it when she needed something to fix the splits in her fingers, cracks in her feet, and then she found out that it also worked great on her son's seasonal eczema. Go to hardlotion.com homesteadingfamily to find out what Josh's favorite made-on products are and also use the code homesteadingfamily for 15% off today's purchase.
1: All right, you guys. Well, spring is almost upon us. Sprung. (laughs) getting there. Starting to warm up a little bit for us. Yeah. And we're really making plans and thinking about everything out there on the property. And one of the questions, one of the topics we've been getting asked a lot about is just chickens and some of both the basics and the details on uh, egg-laying chickens.
0: Yeah. So we're going to cover that in actually pretty good detail today in the main topic. But first, we have to do the chit-chat. Got to do the chit-chat
1: <laughs> and, um, and answer questions. Yeah. So before we get to that question, how are you and what's going on with you?
0: Uh, well, I'm tired. I'm spring tired. <laughs> 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 You're supposed to have all this energy in spring, which you do, you know, fresh sunshine and things starting to like get a little green and poke up and, you know, grow a little bit. But then you use all that new energy to get the gardens in, get everything ready. So, you know, it's that time of year where the snow is now gone. We're able to actually get outside and do some work. You know, I didn't clean up the cottage garden last fall when I should have. I didn't pre-prep it, which is the best way to go. But I just didn't have the time. I just did not make that fit in. No, no that's the reality. Schedule. You
1: just you can't do it all. You, you gotta, just you gotta to be okay up. with yourself. Yeah. When that happens.
0: <laughs> so I decided that spring is a really good time to clean up the cottage mm-hmm. garden and get everything composted and ready for this next year. Hey,
1: at least it's right there on the southwest side of the house. Yes. It's one of the first places yeah. the snow is melting, which uh-huh. of course is a great place for garden. Yes. But it's also allowing you to get in there early before, mm-hmm. you know, things are pushing on you too hard. Not much is really sprouting or coming up yet. So That's nice.
0: Yeah, it is really great. So I'm spending quite a bit of energy on that sort of thing and, uh, you know, projects out there. Yeah. What about you?
1: Well, like you, which you didn't (laughs) mention, I don't think, is the seed starting. Yes. And actually starting some things earlier this year. And, you know, I resonate with you and just feeling tired. And some of that is just the stress of the last year (laughs) coming into this year and really feeling the need to continue to up our game. Yeah. To continue to grow more, to produce more, to put more up, to yeah. improve our systems. And, you know, I had thought last year, like, oh, okay, we're going to slow it down next year and take it a little easier. And in some ways we are, but in other ways it's like, no, we we need to push ahead. We need to keep developing systems. There's just enough going on that, and I think you guys are feeling this. We all want to grow a little more food. We yep. all want to put a little more up. We want to improve our backup systems. So yeah. with that, I'm getting things started earlier, mm-hmm. I'm doubling up on peppers. Yep. And we just keep not getting those uh, even the seeds started early enough. So right. getting some of those done just like you are and you're you're doing some you know adding a lot to the the kitchen garden mm-hmm. with getting the onions out there and what I think I saw leeks and cabbages and broccolis. Yeah. Um, So thinking about all that, planning and just putting up the hoop house, Yay.
0: the DIY
1: hoop house, which is gonna be a video on. How to turn that bean tunnel into a very inexpensive hoop house or greenhouse uh, again to give us an edge in our cold environment. We don't have the money for a big fancy hoop house. I'd love one, um, but we're going to make do with what we've got. And also to extend that season, Mm -hmm. um, we're growing a lot more root crops, but we still like our tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and um, we need to improve the systems there. So That's what I'm working on is getting that up and ready to accelerate the melt of the snow and warming up the soil uh, with this passive system.
0: Yeah, great. Very good.
1: Good, good. Okay, so um, that's it. Not much going on, is there?
0: (laughs) Not much going on. (laughs) What
1: are you guys up to? Let us know. Leave leave us a comment and let us know where you're at in your your homesteading year and what you're up to and what you're struggling with or what you'd like to know about.
0: Yeah, you can probably tell we're a little tired. We're maybe a little subdued. We're working hard. We're uh, getting into our uh, year. So, it's, all but, right.
1: it's all good yeah. stuff. Okay. So um, we're winging it on the question. I don't remember who asked this question other than I can tell you a lot of people <laughs> ask this. I'm now pressuring her to do a video on it <laughs> because it needs a deeper commentary than we can give here. Yeah. But um, the basic question is, can... I can in an Instapot.
0: Can I can in an We're getting and this and over an and over and
1: over. People really want to use their Instapots to I can, know. To pressure we, can.
0: You know, it'd be really nice to have like a one-size-fits-all appliance in the kitchen, and the Instapot starts to come kind of close to that. But the question, can you can in an Instapot, <laughs> is kind of uh, challenging. Yeah. First of all, you can water bath can in an Instapot. cool. Okay, you would not want to pressurize it, but in just its Instapot setting. Now, honestly, I, I would not recommend it because I think you're going to end up overcooking whatever it is that you have in there in order to bring that up to that steady rolling boil. But if you can bring up your Instapot to a rolling boil without pressurizing it and you can maintain it at that temperature for as long as your food needs to be processed, then you are technically safe to water bath can. Again, uh, you have to also make sure that your jars are submerged by at least one to two inches of water in that scenario. Okay. okay? But what I think people really want to do is to pressure can That's really in their what Instapot. they're hoping. They're trying
1: to save money, I think. Totally get it. Um, you know, save on well, resources. I
0: think they're trying to save money, but the other thing is, is we've gotten comfortable with our Instapots now. Mm. We're using them in the kitchen. We're comfortable with it. And the pressure canner is honestly still a little scary. Like it's kind of something we don't use very much, and it steams and makes a lot of noise, and it's jiggly and things like that. The answer for that is no. Please do not pressure can in an Instapot. The reason for that is that, um, you know, if you really want to get into the science, you can check out uh, my video training that I have on the safety of canning, and I actually go through all of the safety features of that. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes and description here for that, but you have to be sure that you are bringing the contents of the food that are inside your jar all the way up to 240 to 250 degrees Fahrenheit in order to properly can them if they're a low acid food. That would be the scenario where you would pressure can. The problem with an Instapot is you have no way of actually measuring the real pressure that you are pressurizing your Instapot too. Even the types of electric pressure cookers that have a digital readout that shows you the pressure, you have no way of checking that and being sure that it's correct. And it's honestly, you guys, it's a life or death scenario. I, I hate to make it so big, but if you're not canning at the full pressure, you potentially have botulism in that jar that you haven't killed off.
1: So that that digital temperature for for like an Instapot or whatever you're using, that's more of an FYI. Yeah. Where on a pressure canner, the gauge or the weight is a safety, a regulated safety device.
0: That is correct. And even those dials on an actual pressure canner, you have to have those checked every single year because those can go wrong. you have to take them into a county extension office and have them actually check those in order for those to be deemed safe. You have to do that every year. You have no way of taking your Instapot in anywhere and having it checked and calibrated. So it's really important that you actually pressure can at the correct pressure in order to kill off all that bacteria that could be in the jar in order to have a safely sterilized jar of food that can sit on your shelf and not end up killing you or making you really, really, really sick.
1: You just don't want so, to take that chance. You
0: don't want to take that chance.
1: And, and you know, there, Carolyn's got a f- few great videos out there, but if you want to dive in, if this is a year that you just want to master canning, I'm just going to give a little plug here for okay. Carolyn's class because she'll take you. She's excellent. She'll take you all mm-hmm. the way through from zero knowledge, if that's where you're at or wherever you're at, to being totally confident and comfortable in that class. And if you're concerned about getting food up this year, you're growing a larger garden, whatever it is you're doing, but you know, you want to get more on the shelves and this is the year to master this, just get the class and and Mm -hmm. she'll take you all the way through a lot further than any YouTube videos are going to do.
0: Yeah. And it's all very safe. (laughs) It teaches you all the very safe methods. So you can be really confident about your food.
1: Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, that was a good question. So Instapot, pressure canning, don't do it. Right. Um, (laughs) And now let's, dive into chickens and we're going to kind of just cover the foundations and the basics of egg laying chickens. This is another area. It's a great entry point for you guys that are wanting to increase your food production. And, um, and another cool part, we're not going to talk about so much today, but we'll reference is that you can actually preserve and store eggs.
0: Yes. And
1: so that's going to add to that, um, you know, resiliency as well. If you, even if you want to up your game with chickens, if you're just doing a few.
0: Okay, we are covering a lot today, so yep. we better jump we better right it. into it.
1: Okay, so um, where do you start? What breed do you start with? What do you need to know about breeds, and what breed do you uh, start with?
0: Yeah. So, so how, how do we approach that? Well, you really want to start by knowing what you want to do with your chickens, right? right mm-hmm. If you are only you're, you're trying to get as many eggs as possible out of your chickens, that's going to dictate what breed you get versus. You know, if you want a chicken that can be used for eggs and then can eventually be used for a little bit of meat, um, that's going to be a different chicken versus a chicken that is just for meat, right? So yep. usually we classify chickens into four different categories. You've got your heritage mm-hmm. breed chickens. Yep. These can actually kind of fall within the other three categories too. You right. Can... These are
1: these are just heritage. They're not your hybrids that have been developed for specific purposes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Then you have your specific egg laying breeds. These are gonna be pretty skinny chickens usually. usually so they're smaller. not usually mm-hmm. gonna be um, good for putting in the pot after and, their egg laying life cycle. <laughs> and
1: they can be heritage or they can be a hybrid.
0: Yes, they can yeah. be. Yeah, and these types of chickens are gonna lay somewhere around 300 eggs a year in optimal conditions. So if you're looking mostly for egg-laying chickens, these are the kind of chickens that you're going to look for. Um, this would be things like the Australorps. The
1: Leghorns. The
0: Leghorns. Now, we have
1: a hybrid, I think, that we're using. I can't remember the name the of The Novigen
0: brand. The Novigen, Those
1: yeah. were second year on those, and those are going. But they're specifically for egg layers, mm-hmm. and those are going fantastic yeah. as well.
0: Those have been really good, too. Yep. So then you have <laughs> something called the Dual purpose breeds. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, with the idea that you have this chicken who's going to lay quite a few eggs, but still be large enough that you can get a little meat off of it in the long run.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's the idea. (laughs) And personally, after years and years, and we've had a lot of dual purpose, I I don't recommend them anymore. I I think you want to get your egg layers for your egg layers. Now, they still, you know, the egg layers age out, mm-hmm. slow down, and you can still use them for meat. And you want to do that to make good use of your resources. But get get egg-laying egg chickens the best for your environment, whatever it is your your requirements are, mm-hmm. and get your meat chickens for your meat chickens. Yeah. The, the dual purpose, a lot of people like it, but it just doesn't doesn't play out well with well, that concept.
0: if production is your main goal, then, mm-hmm. yeah, it, you're not... I mean, most of your dual purpose birds are gonna lay about 200, maybe up to 250 eggs a year in ideal in conditions. Ideal conditions yep. So you can see already that's between a you know a 50 and 100 uh, egg drop from those egg laying yep. chickens. But the thing is you also don't get that much meat off of them. So they're not doing the egg laying that great and they're not doing the meat production that great. Now I've gotta say though, I love these dual-purpose birds because they often are your kind of backyard chickens. They're pretty. They are plucky. You know, a lot of times they're kind of like the, the buff Orphingtons, things like that. They're kind of plump yeah, looking because more, of all their feathers, you know. They so they're are. kind of fun to have as diversity.
1: And they're a little more handleable. A lot of times the yes. good egg layers are a little more wily and, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely the setters if you're going to get into the setting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you're right. They are they are a little more nice backyard chickens.
0: So they do have their place, but if you're really going for high production, you really, really want to go without those egg layers. Now, I've got to mention the meat breeds real fast okay. because sometimes if you've raised a bird for meat and it somehow escapes the butchering process, <laughs> that can either be because you lose heart and you decide not to butcher them. <laughs> I've heard that happen in multiple cases. or, um, Or, you know it literally escapes and gets out and they end up being part of the egg laying flock. Those really are not going to be your best bet for egg layers. You're going to end up feeding them a lot of feed just to get very little bit of eggs.
1: Well, a lot of times they'll continue to grow. The ones we've seen that happen with, that happened with a neighbor of ours. And um, he went ahead and experimented with that and went ahead and left them in the egg laying flock and they actually grew out. and got too big. Yeah. And, you know, had problems just like just like your Cornish crosses have that eight weeks, ten weeks. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't work, even yeah. though they laid a few eggs. Yeah.
0: So this is where you really need to know your use for the chickens and what your ultimate goal is. And, again, we kind of have gone to recommending go with the egg layers for the egg layers. Get the high-production egg layers and get your your eggs out of them.
1: Yep. And so when you're looking, figure that out and then figure out your environment and what chickens are going to do best in your environment. Talk to people and what you like. It's nice to have some variety.
0: Right. We've
1: gone with a little less variety recently because we're focusing on production Uh with all the people in our house. But um, it is important sometimes to enjoy. Chickens are fun to interact with and look at. So, you know, you got to put all those pieces together.
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay. So next logical question is, is where are we going to get chicks from? Where to go? And we've got a few um, ways to go out that. You can hatch eggs out. Yes. You can buy chicks, day old chicks. You can get pullets or you can get adults.
0: Right. So, so let's take them through that. If you want to <sighs> find hatching eggs, you can do that in all different ways. You can get them from a neighbor who has uh, eggs that have been fertilized. You can get them from a lot of online sources. You can get them from a lot of hatcheries. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they have to be fertilized eggs in order to produce a chick. But what you need to know is that you would have to incubate those eggs before you're going to end up with a chicken, right? Right. So you need an incubator set up, and then you'll need the brooder set up after that. So it's pretty advanced, especially if you're just getting into chickens. Um, You can get chicks, and oftentimes you're getting those as day-old or a couple-day-old chicks. That is kind of the standard way to bring chickens into your flock.
1: That is the most common method that most of us are using. And it's, it's, in all ways but one, it's a great system. Okay. Yeah.
0: What's the one way that it's not a great system? Well,
1: you're dependent on, you know, and you are if you're buying the hatching yeah. eggs as well, unless they're your own, but you're dependent on a resource far away, and that's working for us great now. There may come a time or there may come seasons when that doesn't work so well, um, but this is what works right now right. well for most people, yeah. these day-old chicks.
0: So another thing that you can do is you can bring in pullets, which are between four to six months. These are usually at what's called point of lay, where they're just about to start laying. The benefit to this is that you miss that entire chick period where Mm -hmm. you have to baby them and be mama hen, essentially, right? Keep them warm, keep them fed. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So you have chickens that are old enough to go ahead and go right into the main coop, and they're just about to start laying. So that can be a benefit the real con to that, there, I think there are a couple of them, but the real con to that is that they are expensive. They're usually much more expensive because somebody else has had to raise them out.
1: They usually are, but it is worth pricing it out and figuring out how much are your chicks costing, your system, your feed up to that point. Because if you're in an area, if you're in an area where there's not very many people doing pullets, then they're probably going to be expensive. But if you do happen to be in an area where people are doing that, it is worth checking it out. It may It's gonna cost you a little bit more in dollars no matter what, but it will save you the labor and the time. And and it may be worthwhile. So if you really like getting into the numbers, it's worth finding out what's available and crunching Mm -hmm. the numbers because that can be a good way to go.
0: Right. Another thing you can do is bring in adult hens, which would be year old type of range Mm -hmm. hens. They've already been laying. They're probably at their first molt, which is where they stop laying for a little bit. They lose their feathers, grow in new feathers. Um, and they're probably already around that time, but then they should have at least a second and maybe even a third really productive laying season following that.
1: And some people sell them at, you know, at the first mold after the first really productive run, cause they want to just get, start over and get young chicks. So that can be a way depending,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, to, to get chickens that are, you know, laying already or are going to start laying again after the mold for a, you know, a little lower cost and they're still right. going to produce pretty well for you.
0: So if you're finding day-old chicks, which is really what I would recommend, I don't know, we didn't really talk about that. Is that what you would recommend to somebody who's a beginner?
1: Uh, I think so, generally. Um, if you're really a beginner and you're worried about handling the babies and the system that comes with that, because there are, and we'll talk about it a little bit, there is a little bit to that, and you have Pulitzer adults available, um, that is a nice safety net because that fragile period has been dealt with. right? And so if you don't mind paying that little bit extra cost, um, that can be good. But okay. in general, yes, the getting the chicks is what most of us do because it's generally the most cost-effective.
0: And it's going to give you the greatest variety. You'll have the biggest ability to pick your variety most likely. Right. Always try to find them locally if you can, somebody who's already doing them. And if you can find a mother-raised chicks, a mother-raised, <laughs> if you can find mother-raised chicks, um, that is really helpful, especially if you're hoping to have hens that will brood and raise their own chicks. A A chick that has had the experience of being mothered by an actual hen is already automatically going to be a better mother hen than one that was raised in a machine instead.
1: And this is the ultimate solution. We all need to start doing this. Even mm-hmm. if we can't, it's a lot of time to devote to like a breeding program. We've right. tried it at Seasons and, and it just, it's a lot of work and time when you're trying to produce. Yes. But if we all would just start taking, like, sometimes you get a good hand that she likes to set, try to encourage her, try to set her aside. If we all started doing that, we'd start moving towards a little resiliency of having more hens that set and raise babies mm-hmm. within our communities and so that that's a great solution just yeah. to this other problem of it's hard to find them locally mm-hmm. well we all just need to start doing a little bit and try to get that back into the breeding because it's been bred out yeah because of our current system
0: yeah absolutely so if you can't find them locally which depending on where you are it's very likely Probably that not. you won't find them locally <laughs> right. unfortunately yep. but you should look for a local hatchery. If you can't find that, then, of course, we have our online um, lo- you know, suppliers who will send you in the mail your day-old chicks. We so they'll, don't. They'll ship them out day-old.
1: <laughs> we don't have that, though. Just we're not selling chicks. Oh, we um, don't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but there are many companies out there. Um, the Freedom Ranger Hatchery is who we have been using for a few years now that we really, really like. We have had Their chicks are strong, robust, healthy. And some of the ones that have been out there for a while that have grown, there's a lot of problems. And some of the bigger hatcheries. Yeah, yeah, so so do your homework. Yeah. For sure.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So once you get those day-old chicks home, yep,
1: you got to take care of them. They need a bit of, of they need a bit of mothering because they don't have a mother hen. So you've <laughs> got to be the mother hen. And um, we actually have a video on that. We're not going to go through all of that yeah. process here because that is a bigger topic.
0: So we'll put a link to that video down in the description. But really quickly, you're going to have to have a brooder, which is a very, very safe. It's like the nursery, right? You Mm. need to put them in this very safe, warm, protected, dry environment to get them up and running until they have feathers so that they can handle the actual um, space of the big coop and not be chilled or get killed off by exposure. Right. Yeah.
1: Yep. So. Absolutely. So check out that video if you need to learn how to get started.
0: Okay. So then how many chickens should you get? As many as so possible. As many as possible. That's my I answer love to eggs for breakfast, and
1: I <laughs> love eggs and everything. So
0: <laughs> you really, really need to start by considering your space. You yes. should never have more yes. birds than you have the appropriate space for, because you will just You'll ask for you're asking for problems. Yes. If you overcrowd chickens, you're going to end up with disease. You're going to end up with aggressive chickens, bored chickens that start picking each other and start exhibiting antisocial mm-hmm. behavior.
1: Yep.
0: Um, chickens <clears throat> do like to have buddies, so we do want to have more than one mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, probably even more than two, but you do have to make sure to give them enough space. Generally, that's considered.
1: Uh, three to five total. And we'll get into this in a minute with shelter and whatnot. Three to five square feet per bird inside and out is pretty good. I mean, right. if we can do more, that's great. And right. we'll get a little more specifics here when we get into shelter. Um, and cause it breaks down different ways now that we've got standard yeah. coops and all these different mobile situations. And we can, we can talk about that a little yeah. bit, but you know, three to five feet, if you've just got a coop in a yard, you need at least that much per bird, yeah. certain amount inside, certain amount outside.
0: So figure out your square footage and divide it by about five, and you'll know about how many birds you can house. Mm-hmm. It's important to remember that it's very common for a chick or two to die in the process of being shipped in. So it can be a good thing to get one or two extras. Over Make sure you have order. a little bit. yeah. Yeah,
1: And most of, the, most of the chick, I'd say factories, that's what came to <laughs> mind, um, most of them will send you a couple extra yeah. just because that does happen.
0: Yeah, and Absolutely. then, yes,
1: figure for a little more and then sell a few of them if you've got too many. Yeah. A few away. chicks. Yeah. yeah.
0: The other thing you want to do is check to make sure you're not going to get yourself too many eggs or too few eggs. Mm-hmm. So you want to think about your egg, uh, you know, the egg production of each chicken in general. Chickens are, go- are in the height of their lay are considered to lay about four to five eggs per week. Now, there are definitely some amounts of time during the year where you won't be getting that many Mm -hmm. eggs. If it gets too hot, your chickens will stop laying. If it gets too... cold or mostly too dark. Mm-hmm. Daylight hours is the,
1: is the main factor. Yeah.
0: So anytime that there's less than about 12 hours of light, they're going to significantly slow down. Mm-hmm. So you may have to add a few more chickens in order to make up for those facts.
1: And you know what? They're definitely in most places going to really slow down in the winter. So you can make use of the extra eggs during the week in the in the production season and preserve those. Yes. Another topic, but that is doable. To yeah. Help you so when the you have a lot of
0: eggs, You can preserve some for a time when you don't have as many. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Good. Okay, so um, moving on now to the breed. We've got the breeds, um, where to get them, uh, how many. Now we want to start talking about housing them and how to take care of your chicks and your chickens.
0: Please do not wait until you have the chickens to figure out where you're going to house them. <laughs> Let me just say, we're speaking from experience. We've done it a few times, and it causes a lot of stress and it usually causes problems with the chickens. So, yeah, figure this out before you get the chickens. Just
1: not great care of the animals, yeah. you know. Um, and there's two types of shelters okay. in, in general, right? There's permanent shelters, okay. and there are movable shelters. Okay. So we'll, we're going to kind of talk, I think, in and out here of needs on both of those and options. Okay.
0: So regardless of whether you have a permanent shelter, which is a fixed in place shelter, or you have one of those movable shelters, a shelter chicken coop or shelter needs to have certain elements to it. And the first is it needs to protect them for the we- from the weather and the <laughs> elements, right? Right, pretty, absolutely. Pretty basic.
1: Got to protect them from the direct sun, And heat, too much heat, you've got to protect them from the wind and Mm -hmm. too much cold. Yep. That could be blowing snow.
0: And you Um, definitely want to try to get them a dry place because chickens don't like wet. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) So they also need to have an adequate amount of space.
1: Right. Yeah, and this is where you get into, depending on what kind of shelter you're dealing with, how you set it up. If you've got a permanent coop with a yard, you need at least... You know, two foot square foot per bird in the indoor part. Okay. Okay. As as a square footage your coop. At least two, and at least that on the outside. That's where you're getting that three to five. That's four square foot per bird. More is better. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you can start getting three, you know, your coop doesn't need to be giant if it's a permanent coop indoors, but you know, consider winter time. We've got a longer winter. So the bigger that indoor coop is, since they've got to spend a lot more time inside, the better. Like you said, they 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 need to be active and do things and they'll turn on each other. So Two is a minimum. Um, if you don't have a big yard, then try to make that bigger. Mm-hmm. And then if you've got a fenced yard to go along with that, you you know, you at least want to, I'd start trying to get three to five at least um, for a permanent coop. Now we want to try to see those chickens get out, right? We want to yes. get them pastured. We want to get them free ranged. And um, so, you know, one way maybe, you may be able just to open the door to the coop and let them out on your property. Yeah. We've done that a lot and that is a great mm-hmm. way to go. Now, if you're going to be in a Portable situation, mm-hmm. you know, either part of the year or if you're, you know, really warm, you could you could even do that all year. For right. us, we've got to do both. We've got a regular coop, fixed coop, we're gonna let them out of that sometimes of the year, and then we're gonna go take them in a portable situation. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a portable and you're you're getting them out and free ranging, those can be less square feet. Okay. Because they're really not spent meant to spend a lot of time in there. They're gonna go in there to roost and lay eggs. Okay. Their food is outside, their water is outside. And, you know, different examples of a portable coop would be a Shaw, mm-hmm. And that's a, a just kind of a cart that you move along with a built-in little coop, a chicken tractor, mm-hmm. and then just a larger, like, portable coop. that Usually guys that are doing market style at that scale are going to use that. Yeah. But any of those you're going to move around. So the square footage can go down inside to one to two foot. Um, Inside it, because the chickens are really going to be out either totally free ranging or in a large netted area, ideally on pasture, okay. and so they're moving around and they're just using that coop again at night, yeah, and for egg laying.
0: We love that system because it <clears throat> one spreads out the manure. It's actually beneficial for the ground mm-hmm. because you're spreading the manure over your ground, so it's a great thing for an area that you want to bring the the fertility of the soil back up. Um, but it also gets the chickens under fresh ground every day. Chickens tend to like to congregate around their little house and they put a lot of pressure right on the area around their house. They eat off all those bugs first, right? So we want to move them around the yard so that they're always having access to fresh food, more bugs, more fresh grass and greens. And they have clean ground to wander around on.
1: And of course, this is the permaculture mentality where you're starting to get multiple uses out of out of one, you know, object on your property yeah. or on, on your farm. And so in this case, the chicken is not just providing you eggs, but the chicken is, say, controlling flies out in the pasture mm-hmm. and fertilizing the field. And there are guys that do full-on egg. Production systems, but they actually see the fertilizing of the pasture and what that does for the grass for their grazing production as the higher value. Okay. And the eggs are just kind of helping pay for it. Because so, it's
0: so valuable for the land.
1: Right. And yeah. you don't have to be in large pastures to do this, though. You yeah. can take a few chickens, put them in a mobile situation, and move them around a half acre. I mean, even your yard if you wanted to, mm-hmm. um, to get that benefit. Yeah. yeah. Good. And so, the chickens are much happier and they're going to do better.
0: So again, all of that drops your square footage requirements for your coop.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, I've seen them. We've got a chickshaw that's down to just about one square foot per bird. Just a little bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And really that's for summertime where they're going to be out. It's got overhangs. They've got shade. Their food's outside. They're just going in there to lay or to sleep. Yeah. And you know, but you got to gauge that on your conditions. If there's more weather and they're going to have to spend a little more time inside, I would definitely want to make that a little bigger. A bit
0: larger, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now, the next thing we want to pay attention to for uh, shelter is your temperature control. mm -hmm. At least we talk about temperature, but maybe that's kind of a misnomer, right? When things get too hot or they get too cold, you put stress on the bird's Mm -hmm. body. So what we want to do when they get stressed, they slow down laying or they don't lay as much. You all know that feeling sitting out in the too hot sun and getting kind of stressed, getting hot. Right. You don't want to do anything. Well, chickens get the same way and they don't want to do anything relates to how many eggs you're going to get in the day <laughs> or the week. So what you want to do in that shelter is to provide them the most temperate climate possible for the area that you live in. That may actually have a lot more to do with ventilation than it does actually cooling the area down. Providing that shade mm-hmm. and some good ventilation is really important in the summer. Of course, ventilation is always important for the health of the bird. Right. Um, and in the winter, uh, you know they, they will still lay in the cold and chickens can actually survive a drastic amount of oh, cold.
1: Yeah, they can take a very cold
0: but they're gonna slow down as their body gets stressed. So the more heat, the, you know, the more insulation that you can provide for yeah. them, the more eggs you're gonna get.
1: Yeah, the misnomer is just that that actually controls the egg laying. It's actually the daylight hours that control, you know, their egg their egg production. Right. But then where you can reduce stress on them, obviously mm-hmm. the healthier they're gonna be, um, the more eggs they're gonna lay. So, you know, as long as you've got the adequate shelter, that's great. If you If you're then able to insulate your coop, well, great. That takes it another step if mm-hmm. you're in a cold environment. And some people go to the extent of heating it a little bit with a heat lamp or something like that. And, you know, how much energy that uses, how far you want to go, that's really up to you. It's, it's going to help, but it's not, it's not going to make a dramatic effect. Right. You know? yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so moving on, your shelter also needs to have nesting boxes. Now, this is important because your chickens are going to be laying. And if they don't start laying in your nest boxes... They will lay all over the place. And a nest box is a place where you can actually keep the area clean and suitable so that you end up with eggs that aren't broken and aren't excessively Mm -hmm. dirty. And
1: they're easy to find.
0: And they're easy to find. We've got
1: a group of chickens that lay all over the barn. (laughs) Yes. and and Because we are experimenting uh, with little free ranging in the barn. Mm -hmm. And um, it worked well in some ways, but others (laughs) it didn't. And we still find eggs everywhere for those few.
0: We do, Yeah. (laughs) So you really want to have one nest box per three to five hens. They'll probably still all try to lay in just a few nest boxes. Usually. They kind of like doing that. But it's important to have as many as you can. And they're most comfortable
1: there. That little dark space and you want a little shavings Mm -hmm. or straw or something in there to protect the eggs, that's where they're comfortable. That's where they feel safe Mm -hmm. to to brood, to to lay those eggs and, and think about setting them. Yeah. Um, but you still need another way for those chickens to hang out, right? The roosts. Within yeah.
0: So at nighttime, chickens like to get on their roosts unless they're setting. And so you need to go ahead and provide some poles or something for those hens to roost on so they can be up above the ground. It makes them feel safe. They're up off the ground. And they like to kind of cluster together up there. It's kind of their social environment for nighttime, right? Yep. Yep. The thing that you really have to pay attention to is that they're gonna spend a lot of time in on that roost, which means that the manure under the roost are really gonna build up. So you wanna think through methods of collecting that manure. Try not to get yourself into a scenario where it's a really hard area to get mm-hmm. back into to clean. Some people actually put things like pans or removable items underneath the roost so that they can really easily just pull it, pull it out and go dump it out into their compost pile. Yeah,
1: yep, good. Now another one we're touching on here, which we kind of talked about, that's the outside roaming pen or the portable pen, but you bring up a good point in our notes here that people are gonna ask about free ranging because sometimes people have a lot of predator issues, whether that's from the sky, or coyotes or whatever. And so you're real, maybe real nervous about getting those chickens out and free ranging, but mm-hmm. you, you really do want to get them out and allow them to be a chicken. And that's where the chicken tractors come in that, you know, people tend to think of more for meat chickens, right? but they can also be set up well for the egg laying chickens where you move them regularly, but they're still in an yeah. en- enclosed uh, enclosure mm-hmm. and they're safe. They're protected. Yeah. They, they can't quite range as much, but they do have that production. And so that's, That's um, another solution for that roaming side, which leads into one of our, getting on to our last points, is security for the
0: chickens. (laughs) You may think that just because the chickens are right in your backyard and uh, they're close to the house, that, you know, maybe nothing is going to come in and bother your chickens. You remember
1: when I was building the deck for mom and dad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that coyote came in just like 30 feet away from us.
0: Yeah, all of us were outside, air compressors going, kids out playing. And the coyote came right up to the the house, took a chicken and ran off right in plain sight. Not only
1: that, if you mm-hmm. remember, we ran after it, got it to drop the chicken mm-hmm. and it left and it came back within a half an hour, yes, knowing so we were the all there. Again. Right. So depending on your environment, we yeah. were in a very coyote heavy environment there. Right. Um, yeah, you do really sometimes have to keep Even an eye on that. If
0: you're in a suburban area... It Getting chickens is kind of like putting the sign out that says free food to to every predator in the area, including raccoons, skunks, anything that you can think of wants to come eat your chickens. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that you have a really secure coop. If you have neighbors who have chickens, it's really great to go ask them what kind of predators you're going to be facing and what's the best chicken fencing to handle that. In some places, you have to have a lidded coop where there's chicken wire over the top of the coop, at least at night. In other places, you can get away with an open-topped coop.
1: Yeah. This is where I really like the chicken tractors because we really want to get away from the fixed coop model if we can. It's just, it it, it breeds things that are not healthy. It's not the best for the chickens. And so if you can't just open the door on your coop and let them free range for a few hours a day, then that chicken tractor is just great because it protects them. But it still gets them the ability to get out and and be a chicken, as Joel Salatin would say.
0: Um,
1: well, hey, you know what? We've got one more key subject here to take care oh, of. Oh yeah, um, we and have that, these
0: chickens. We have to feed them. You gotta feed them,
1: <laughs> right? It seems a little out of order, but um, we do need to make sure they get fed. Yeah. And there, are, there's a lot of ways to do that, but there are some basic, uh, you know, requirements and a basic place to start.
0: Absolutely. So. When your chicks are young, you need to feed them very high protein feed, and that's usually considered 18 to 20% protein. You get it either as chick starters, what it can be called, mm-hmm. chick crumbles, there's all sorts of names for it, but you're looking for that 18 to 20% protein feed in a really small crumble that little teeny chick chicks can digest.
1: Yep. And we always do this, even though we've got a lot of alternative methods, Mm -hmm. we always make sure they're getting this. But a little pro tip that works really, really well is even when you're doing that, lay in some soil Mm -hmm. onto that newspaper or that surface that you're getting from day one, you can do this. If it's got some bugs in it, great. Throw in some grass or some greenery with that. That does a couple things. The soil or the sand starts to get grit into their gizzard and helps Mm -hmm. their digestion. Um, along with getting them used to pecking and scratching because that, that actually starts to get bread out of the chicken. So we want to bring that back in and teach them how to get some of their own feed out of the natural environment. And so on that yeah. starting, even though you're giving them that high protein feed, you can add in some of the natural element from day one. And that we found that really gives them a nice boost and trains them to as they grow to get out there.
0: It also cultures them to actually eating the green things. Mm -hmm. I have seen other people's chickens who've never had access to anything green. And when they put green things in there, they won't touch it. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it. So get some, you know, even if it's just a handful of grass clippings or, you know, some weeds out of the yard, get some green things in there right off at the beginning. So as they get bigger, the standard advice from about 8 to 14 weeks is to move to a 16 to 18 percent uh, protein feed. The reason for this, we want to drop that protein a little bit because we don't want them to grow too quickly. We don't want them to develop their um, egg laying parts too quickly because that can cause some health issues for the long-term laying. Mm-hmm. And we also don't want them to develop their the rest of their body faster than their legs can right. contain it. So you want to drop down that protein. You actually drop it again from about 15 to 18 weeks down to something closer to a 15% feed. Now, this is really idealized. I got to say. This is very
1: technical. This This is is, really technical.
0: And we don't always (laughs) follow all of this. So you kind of take it and run with it the way you can. We definitely always start with the chick starter. Mm -hmm. And then when um, they get to about 16 weeks where they're about to hit point of lay, they're starting to come on Mm -hmm. to adults, they're fully feathered, they're ready to be, you know, they've been out in the coop, the main coop, then it's time to drop them down to that 16% layer feed.
1: Right. Right. Yep and and you depending on the season and their development I like to see them you know getting pretty fully feathered and again depending on the weather to start mm-hmm. getting them out but the sooner we can get them out and free ranging yeah and and you know going after bugs and grasses mm-hmm. and all that that helps supplement their feed and really helps them uh, just develop with good health and a good robustness yeah. your your eggs you're going to see the difference in your eggs with that yeah. And um, then you can get into also fermenting grains, yes, both for you know, making better use out of maybe lower cost grains, mm-hmm. scratch mixes or individual grains, or just adding in those extra nutrition and and um, probiotics. Another thing you can do is the kitchen scraps, and there's a lot of good protein. Yeah, and a lot of good feed from there as well.
0: Yeah, it's a great way to use your kitchen scraps too. <laughs> yeah, it is
1: for us until the, until the pigs come <laughs> Until
0: the pigs show, the then pig, they the want pigs it pigs make instead. better use of it, yeah. <laughs> hey, you guys, it's been great to hang out with you. Check out our blog post on what to do with all of those fresh eggs that you're about to get after you get your chickens and they are laying. The link should be in the description.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review.
0: To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast.
1: We'll see you soon.
0: Goodbye.